0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Thursday, June 8th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of antiwar.com today, Zelensky receives a powerful offer on F-16s. So Zelensky said on Tuesday that Ukraine has received a powerful offer from countries that are willing to provide their American-made F-16 fighter jets. So since President Biden approved the delivery of the F-16s from Europe to Ukraine, which he did at the G7 summit in Hiroshima, Uh, Japan. But since then, it has not been clear which countries will send the jets. European nations that are expected to arm Ukraine with their F-16s include the Netherlands, Belgium, and Denmark, but they have not yet made a commitment. But Zelensky signaled that a deal on the aircraft will be reached soon. He said, quote, our partners know how many aircraft we need, I have already received an understanding of the number from some of our European partners. It is a serious, powerful offer, end quote. So the Ukrainian leader said that he was waiting for a final agreement, including a joint agreement with the United States. So the U.S. has not made a final decision on whether or not it will send its own F-16. So the Biden administration is leaving open the possibility because Biden uh, has Really said he's going to approve the export of F16s from European countries to Ukraine, uh, which is required for them to send them. But you know, again, the, the U.S. is also they could they might send their own F16s as well. Um, so on Monday, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov noted that F16s can carry nuclear weapons, and he warned that sending them to Ukraine was a major escalation. And the White House responded to Lavrov's comments, and he brushed uh the White House brushed them off and this is White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby he said quote the first thing i would say to minister lavrov is if you're worried about ukrainian military capabilities then you should take your troops and leave ukraine and quote he didn't address the fact that f16s can carry uh nuclear weapons kirby also said that the f16s were part of a uh, of long term support for ukraine as it could take months or years for them to be delivered. So we don't know when they're going to get there. Kirby said it's going to take some time. And he said that the training program has not begun yet. Um, you know, there were some comments from Joseph Burrell, who's the EU's top foreign policy official. He said that the F 16 training did begin in some European countries, but I think that was wrong or, uh, you know, I haven't seen it yet that it actually, the program has actually started. I believe it's going to begin in Poland and some other countries. All right, the next one here, ex-NATO head says that some NATO countries might send troops to Ukraine. So this is a pretty concerning statement. And this is from Anders Rasmussen, who is a former NATO secretary general. Uh, He's Danish, and uh, he's warning that. If Ukraine does not get the security guarantees that it wants at this upcoming Vilnius summit, that some NATO members are going to send troops to Ukraine. Now, Rasmussen is currently working for Zelensky as an advisor, and he is touring Europe and the U.S. to gauge the level of support that Kiev should should expect to receive at this big summit that's coming up in July. So this is definitely concerning that he's saying this, that some NATO members might send troops in, but it also seems like it's kind of a threat. You know, he's lobbying for Zelensky. He's working for Zelensky, trying to convince the U.S. and other NATO countries to give Ukraine, you know, some serious new security guarantees at this summit. So he said, quote, I think the Poles would seriously consider going in and assemble a coalition of the willing if Ukraine does not get anything in Vilnius. We shouldn't underestimate the Polish feelings. The Poles feel that for too long, Western Europe did not listen to their warnings against the true Russian mentality, end quote. Um, so, I mean, what he's talking about is, I guess, Poland going on its own and, and finding other countries that want to join them on actually going into Russia, sorry, going into Ukraine to directly fight Russian troops. I know there's a lot of Polish you know, volunteers fighting for the Ukrainian foreign legion, but making it official would really, I mean, you know, it's NATO versus Russia, even if they're doing it on their own. So Rasmussen, Poland and the Balk- Baltic states, he's saying that also the Baltic states might send troops to Ukraine if the alliance fails to make a strong enough commitment to Kiev. He said, quote, if NATO cannot agree on a clear path forward for Ukraine, there is a clear possibility that some countries individually might take action. I wouldn't exclude the possibility that Poland would would engage even stronger in this context on a national basis and be followed by the Baltic states, maybe including the possibility of troops on the ground. End quote. So you know, hopefully he's just, you know, trying to he's just lobbying and trying to convince the US to give Ukraine some strong guarantees. Ukraine wants a roadmap to NATO membership, to full NATO membership. Zelensky was saying the other day that he knows they can't get it while the war is going on, while the fighting's happening, but he wants a promise that after the war they're they're going to join NATO. Now from Russia's perspective, you know, their main motivation for invading was Ukraine's alignment with NATO. So from their perspective, if NATO does give Ukraine a guarantee, I mean it's just going to it's just going to drag the war out uh for as long as it it can be fought. It seems like um you know, these, whatever kind of promises NATO gives at this summit. All right. The next one here, Russia questions U.S. knowledge of Ukrainian plans to attack dam. So Russia on Wednesday questioned what the U.S. might have known about Ukrainian plans to attack the Nova Kovka dam in southern Ukraine using a U.S.-provided HIMARS rocket system. So the dam was destroyed early Tuesday, and the Russians and Ukrainians are trading blame. In December 2022, as I mentioned yesterday, Kyle Kyle mentioned in his original write-up of the dam destruction story, in December 2022, the Washington Post reported that Ukraine considered attacking this dam during its counteroffensive in Kherson last year. And they cited a conversation with Major General Andriy Kovalchuk and he led the offensive for Ukraine. The report said that Ukraine even conducted a test strike on the dam using a U.S.-provided HIMARS rocket system. Um, So according to the Post, uh, he said that they conducted this strike to see that if one of the floodgates, they could hit some of the floodgates to raise the water level of the Dnieper River uh, enough to stop Russia from crossing but not flood nearby villages. So Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova said Wednesday that U.S. officials must be asked if they were aware of the Ukrainian plans. She said, quote, were you aware of how American weapons, the weapons that are being supplied to Ukraine, are used, that trial tests of a terrorist attack against civilian infrastructure in third countries are being made? These are the questions that we directly pose in the public space before the White House you must answer them, end quote. So while Ukraine and some members of Congress and lots of media outlets immediately blamed the Russia for the attack on the dam, the White House would not back up the claim on Tuesday. White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said, quote, we've seen the reports that Russia was responsible for the explosion, but we cannot say conclusively what happened at this point, end quote. So the Kremlin said Tuesday that the canal that provides 85% of Crimea's water was rapidly becoming more shallow as a result of the dam's destruction. So that's how much this canal that comes from this dam provides about 85% of Crimea's water. That's a very significant portion. And Ukraine cut Crimea's access to the canal in 2014 after Russia annexed the peninsula. And it was only restored after Russia took control of the area after the February 22nd, sorry, February uh, 2022 invasion. And securing this water supply to Crimea was one of Russia's main, uh, sorry, not main motives, but it was definitely one of their, something they talked about a lot. And it's one of the first things that they did when they went in was they secured this canal and uh, to, to secure the water supply for Crimea. Um, so, you know, that's something that, again, they're, they're losing now because of the destruction of this dam. So when you think about, uh, you know, motives for this attack, uh, you know, it's definitely causing damage on the Ukrainian side and, and, and the Russian controlled side as well. But the Crimea water supply was a really big thing for Russia. Um, all right. So the next one here, um, Ukraine rejects calls to freeze the conflict. So this is Ukrainian Defense Minister Dmitry Kuleba. On Wednesday, he reaffirmed Kiev's position that it is against the idea of pausing the fighting in Ukraine to foster peace talks between the warring sides. Kuleba said, quote, if anyone thinks they should freeze the conflict and then see how to solve it, they don't understand it, end quote. And he said this during an online briefing with African journalists. Kuleba recently completed a tour of Africa and a group of African leaders is expected to visit Moscow and Kiev to put forward peace proposals. They want uh, the two sides to engage in negotiations. Kuleba said that there's no date set yet for when the African heads of state will visit Kiev. Ukraine will likely dismiss any peace proposal as Ukrainian officials have maintained negotiations cannot happen until a complete Russian withdrawal and their position Is backed by the US. You know, the US is backing them 100%. Secretary of State Antony Blinken rejected calls for a ceasefire in a speech last week, and he said that the US must focus on building up Ukraine's military. But more non aligned countries have been increasing their calls for diplomacy in the conflict, including Indonesia uh, at that Shangri La dialogue in Singapore over the weekend. Indonesia's defense minister offered an idea for a peace plan It suggested freezing the conflict along the current battle lines, establishing a demilitarized zone, and holding UN-sponsored referendums in disputed areas. His suggestion was quickly rejected by Ukraine, which called the idea a Russian plan. Um, So I think it seems clear as long as the US is backing them, you know, giving them this full-throated support, Ukrainian officials are not going to uh, concede on their, on their demand that Russia must withdraw uh, before any kind of negotiation can happen. All right, the next one here, this is from the Gray Zone from Aaron Maté. Leaks reveal that the FBI helps Ukraine censor Twitter users and obtain their info. So the FBI aided a Ukrainian intelligence effort to ban Twitter users and collect their data. New leaks show Twitter declined to censor journalists targeted by Ukraine which included Aaron Maté. He was on the list. So this is based on leaked emails. The Federal Bureau of Investigation has aided a Ukrainian intelligence effort to censor social media users and obtain their personal information. In March 2022, an FBI special agent sent Twitter a list of accounts on behalf of the Security Service of Ukraine. That's the SBU, Ukraine's main intelligence agency. The accounts, the FBI wrote, were suspected by the FBU and were suspected by the SBU in spreading fear and disinformation. In an attached memo, the SBU asked Twitter to remove the accounts and hand over their user data. The Ukrainian government's FBI-enabled targets extend to members of the media. Again, uh, Aaron was one of the people on this list. Um, So what's interesting is that the FBI censorship request was relayed in a March 27th email in 2022 from an FBI special agent and the assistant legal attache at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev was also on the email and it was sent to two Twitter executives and four FBI colleagues were copied on the exchange. So. Uh, but as of, you know, it doesn't look like Twitter uh, obliged with their request. Aaron says of the 163 accounts named by the SBU, 34 were suspended and 20 no longer exist. The rest remain active. So some were suspended, I guess. Uh, not all of them and not Aaron, uh, but it's still very, you know, it's just crazy that the FBI is trying to censor. Uh, you know, free speech at the behest of the SBU. All right, the next one here. NATO is preparing its largest air deployment exercise in history. So Germany is preparing to lead NATO's largest ever air deployment exercises in a show of force meant as a warning to Russia. The Air Defender 23 exercise will involve 10,000 personnel and 250 aircraft, including 2,000 U.S., Air National Guard troops, and 100 American planes. The drills will be held from June 12th to the 23rd and will take place in Germany, the Czech Republic, Estonia, and Latvia. So the U.S. Ambassador to Germany, Amy Gutmann, said that the exercises will send a message to Russian President Vladimir Putin. She said, quote, I would be pretty surprised if any world leader was not taking note ...of what this shows in terms of the spirit of this alliance, which means the strength of this alliance, and that includes Mr. Putin, end quote. Lieutenant General Michael Lowe, who is the head of U.S. Air National Guard, he he said that the drills will prepare troops for a great power conflict. The drills will simulate a Russian attack on NATO territory, and they come as the alliance is drawing up plans for war with russia for the first time since the cold war at this upcoming nato summit in vilnius nato members are expected to approve thousands of pages of secret military plans that will detail how to respond to a russian attack Um, so largest ever we always hear that when it comes to these u.s military exercises that are going on they keep doing you know their largest ever iteration All right, the next one here. Blinken is expected to visit China soon. So several media outlets have reported that Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected to travel to China this month amid soaring tensions between Washington and Beijing. Blinken abruptly canceled a planned trip to China in February over the big balloon incident. Uh, After canceling the trip and the U.S. shooting down the balloon off the coast of South Carolina, the balloon that wound up over U.S. territory, Due to unexpected weather, it's what U.S. officials said to the Washington Post, and uh, there's several other reports that say the same thing. Uh, but after they shot it down, the Biden administration struggled to reschedule Blinken's visit. But recently, high-level dialogue between the U.S. and China has resumed, although there's there's been none between military officials as the U.S. refused to lift sanctions on China's defense minister. CIA Director William Burns, he made a secret, chip to, secret trip to China last month, and that made him the highest-level Biden administration official to visit the country. And Daniel Brink, who is the Assistant U.S. Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs, he was in China this week on Monday, and according to the Chinese side, held candid, constructive, and fruitful discussions with his Chinese counterparts So they're back to talking more, which I think is good, but the Biden administration has still shown no sign of backing down on its hardline China policies, which involve harsh economic sanctions, increasing support for Taiwan, and explicitly preparing for a future war with China. Uh, You know, they're not making it a secret. U.S. military officials are not making it a secret that that's what they're doing. They're preparing for a direct war with China. Okay, so the next one here, uh, this is from the South China Morning Post. Most Europeans want to stay neutral in a U.S.-China war over Taiwan. So this is interesting. um, According to a new study, a majority of Europeans would prefer their countries to stay neutral if the United States and China go to war over Taiwan. So just 23% of people across 11 countries would want to take the U.S.'s side, with fit, with 62% wanting to stay neutral. The poll was part of a study by the European Council on Foreign Relations, which shows that many European citizens, 43%, continue to view China as a necessary partner with whom they would like to cooperate more than any other category. So much different than the polls you see in the U.S., um, I think it's interesting, you know, the U.S. is trying to lead these NATO countries, you know, into the Asia Pacific, but they're getting resistance uh, from France specifically, as we went over the other day, that France is, looks like they might block NATO opening uh, office in Japan. Macron has spoken out, says he doesn't want to follow the U.S. into a conflict with China. Um, So I think, uh, you know, it's good to see resistance to these policies. Um. You know, and it's not even clear that if Japan or, you know, the U.S. allies in the region uh, want to get involved in, in all this as well. I mean, they're clearly building up their military and going along with the military exercises. But when, when it comes to committing to actually go into war over Taiwan, I don't think we've seen them do that. <clears throat> the U.S., I guess, has not officially done that, but President Biden has said multiple times that he will intervene if China attacks Taiwan. And again, the military leaders are saying, that they're going to go to war directly with China over Taiwan if war breaks out. Um, All right. So the next one here, the U S conducted 38 operations against ISIS in May. So U S central command said in a press release on Tuesday that it conducted 38 operations against ISIS in Iraq and Syria in May, killing eight alleged ISIS operatives and detaining 31 more. The command said that all the operations were launched with partners referring to the Kurdish-led SDF in Syria and the Baghdad-based government in Iraq. CENTCOM said that it was involved in 21 partnered operations in Iraq and 17 in Syria. So in the Iraq operations, the command claimed that six alleged ISIS operatives were killed, and in Syria, they say two were killed. I say alleged because we know not to take the CENTCOM, the U.S. military, at their word about who they're killing uh, in these operations. Because also in May, CENTCOM launched a drone strike in Northwest Syria that killed a man named Lat- Latfi Hassan Misto, who was a 56-year-old father of 10 with no connection to militant organizations, according to people who knew him. And you know, there's no sign that he was an al-Qaeda like CENTCOM claimed, and he was killed while herding his sheep in a drone strike. And CENTCOM initially claimed that the strike killed a senior al-Qaeda figure, but it was later revealed that the command had no evidence to back up that claim. They just said that, not even knowing if it was true. So while the U.S. is active in operations against ISIS in Iraq and Syria, the terror group no longer holds any significant territory in either country, which means the U.S. could pull out Syrian government, the SDF, Syria's allies can handle the remnants of ISIS same thing in Iraq. You know, the people that oppose the U.S. presence in Iraq, which are the Shia factions, they're all sworn enemies of ISIS. They can handle ISIS. U.S. doesn't need to be there. But they use these ISIS missions to justify the continued occupation, even though, especially when it comes to Syria, you know, it's about the economic campaign, it's about controlling Syria's oil fields and keeping those crippling economic sanctions on Syria, keeping the country essentially under embargo. All right. So the next one here, Blinken went to Saudi Arabia, met with MBS and pushed Saudi Israel normalization. This one is from Connor Freeman over at the Libertarian Institute. So Blinken met with MBS for an open and candid conversation on Wednesday, according to a U.S. official. The discussions covered a wide range of bilateral issues, including potential Saudi-Israeli normalization and the war in Yemen. So Blinken's visit in Jeddah comes after the Saudis uh, pledged to deepen oil output cuts in in addition to a broader OPEC plus agreement limiting supply. The U.S. has opposed these oil cuts as it is seen as indirectly benefiting Russia in the midst of the U.S.-led sanctions blitz, which Saudi Arabia has refused to join. So a significant chunk of Blinken's meeting with NBS was supposed to be focused on promoting Saudi Israeli normalization along the lines of the Abraham Accords. It's not clear if this is going to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Saudis have long said that a prerequisite a prerequisite for a deal is a two-state solution, you know, giving the Palestinians a state. That of course is not going to happen anytime soon. But at the same time, Riyadh is also looking for security guarantees from the US. They want to help starting a nuclear program. So they are in a good position to get concessions from the US. They have a lot of leverage right now. They've been kind of going their own way more so. Uh, Maduro, the Venezuelan president, he was just in Venezuela on Tuesday. That's another country under heavy sanctions. The Saudis are opening up with Iran, Syria, all these countries that the US uh, wants to keep, you know, isolated. Uh, And they also discussed Yemen, uh, the war in Yemen. You know, there's been those talks between the Saudis and the Houthis, but still no final deal. And the U.S. doesn't seem to be too keen on, you know, pushing for a peace deal to happen. So there's always a risk of the war breaking out again. Um, So we don't really know, you know, that we might see some reports detailing more so what they talked about. We just know really the topics. We don't know what kind of, if any progress was made in any area. Uh, but we might see some, you know, leaks about the meeting in the in the next few days. It's usually the way it goes. Um, that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We've one from Chip Gibbons over at Jacobin. Roger Waters critics smear him because they hate his pro-Palestine activism. One from Ted Snyder. Four big reasons not to green light strikes on Crimea. One from Lawrence M. Vance. The Korean War was a senseless waste of American lives. That's over at the Future Freedom Foundation. One from Vez Engler. Canada's only answer in Ukraine. More weapons, more war. And then our spotlight is, oh, it's that piece from Aaron Mate again, at the Gray Zone about the FBI helping Ukraine censor Twitter. It's a pretty important story, so we posted it in two different places. Um, That's everything for me for today. You could always support antiwar.com if you go to antiwar.com slash donate. Like and subscribe to this show on YouTube, Odyssey, or Rumble, wherever you prefer to watch the video. If you listen to the audio version, which most of you do, uh, you could leave reviews. uh, I know on Apple Podcasts, you could leave reviews there. All that stuff helps. uh, But I'll be back tomorrow with some more news for you. Thanks for listening.